Welcome to Stu's EV Universe, where you can find anything and everything electric vehicle. Uh, I want to thank Emily Miller for joining me. Uh, Emily is the founder of the Rebel Rally, and it's R-E-B-E-L-L-E. -E -L -L -E. Uh, thanks you for uh, joining me on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks, Stu, for having me. Yeah. No, I guess we'll just start at the beginning. Uh, I'm fascinated by this whole thing. I'm super excited about having you on. And uh, I guess, you know, the first question is, I suppose the obvious question is, how did this all kind of start with you? Well, <laughs> uh, it actually started uh, quite a long time ago, a couple of decades ago. I was very fortunate. Um, but first of all, I own a sports marketing company, um, been involved in the sports world for a long time, um, avid athlete. And I w actually met and ended up um, driving for a legend in off-road racing. His name was Rod Hall. Um, he has passed away. He was, I called him my dirt dad. Uh, he really taught me everything, you know, he knew, um, trained me to drive and I fell in love with that world uh, really because it was a line picking sport. Um, you know, driving is just placing, you know, four tires instead of two tires on a bicycle or, you know, two skis, you know, which was where I came from. And it, it really is an in incredible challenge. I love vehicles, I, whether they're, um, you know, whether it's a bicycle or whether it's a car, I've always been a fanatic about really what I see kind of as functional art and architecture. And as I uh, grew in my off-road driving and racing and uh, adventuring, I have always been completely fascinated by electric vehicles as well and alternative vehicles with alternative uh, power plants. I'm not saying one's better than the other. They're just different. You know, I love all vehicles. But what I did is I've been fortunate to travel around the world, adventure around the world by vehicles. And so I wanted to start a rally in the United States because I think we have some of the finest terrain in the world, if not the finest terrain in the world, and the diversity of terrain and terrain types. And public access, you know, we have public access to land, which is exceptional for all users to use. And so I wanted to start this. And when I was racing, I was often the one of the only women out there. Very, very few women uh, driving, um, but women are great drivers, great navigators. I've had the fortunate opportunity to coach, you know, several thousand people to drive off road and to navigate. And so I wanted to start um, a world class rally in the in the United States, but I wanted it to be a world class rally. It nothing to do with gender, just a world class car rally, not based on speed, but based on smart driving and smart navigating for the vehicles we drive every day, not race cars. You know, not many people have the opportunity or ability to manage and uh, honestly uh, afford to run a race program. So hence, now here we are, um, Rebel Rally, and just finished our sixth year. Now, where does this take place? Um, how many days? Um... You know, and uh, I guess um, just kind of a, a few of the nuts and bolts things. Sure. It takes place in October. This next year it will be October uh, 6th through the 15th. 
And it takes place in the uh, desert west, primarily California and Nevada, um, some, uh, you know, bordering on Arizona. And it is 10 days. It's eight days of driving off-road and navigating with paper map and compass and road book. No GPS, no cell phones. Yeah, no cell phones. Now, uh, that's that's something. I mean, because, uh, I mean, our society is so tied to cell phones. I would say, myself included, I mean, people are addicted to their phones. So that's actually must be kind of a freeing thing for the people that are participating. I don't know if they have a hard time with it or if they embrace it. They they have a hard time with it at first. They're first rebel. They can't believe they're going to seal it up. They they don't even know if they're going to be able to get by. And by the end of it, they don't even want their cell phones back on the last day. They don't want to open them. They don't want to look at them. They want to stay present. Because, right. in a, and I think quite a few people come back every year specifically for that component. You know, these are high achievers. You know, they, they're they not the type to go to the beach for two weeks and turn off their cell phone and just check out. Um, they almost need an excuse to do it. Now, this is uh, pretty harsh terrain. Can you kind of, I guess, paint a picture of 10 days? I mean, what are these people seeing? When do they wake up? How many hours are, are they out there? Is there a dedicated driver, dedicated navigator? Do they switch off? You know, when does their day end? Uh, and then what is the night like? I mean, uh, kind of uh, for someone that, you know, and our audience that really has no idea, uh, you know, what kind of experience this is, what is it? Sure. I'll, I'll start. I'll go through the nuts and bolts of the, first of all, the terrain. And it's designed to be a proving ground for people themselves, uh, vehicles and products. It's truly a proving ground. It's by design, designed to be hard, extra hard, and really put people through the paces. So the terrain, um, this year we started at the Hoover Dam and then we went north. Normally we've started in Lake Tahoe and then gone out to the east. Um, we cover every, pretty much every uh, terrain type from, uh, from pavement, dirt roads, double tracks, sand dunes, uh, washes, rocky terrain, smooth terrain. It's every type of terrain. Also pretty much every altitude and temperature. So it's not uncommon for the start of the rally for the first few days to be down 15 to 20 degrees at night, um, freezing temperatures to uh, we've had up to 116 degrees in the sand dunes in the same rally. So Whoa. you get every type of train, you get every temperature, and a day starts at 5 a.m. with me walking through camp, ringing a cowbell. Nobody gets to set their alarm. They don't have their phones. I ring the cowbell at 5 a.m. They get up, and then they get their information for the day. They don't know where they're going. The course is confidential. So we give them what's called a checkpoint guide, and it's everything they need to plot their checkpoints. They um, start working on that. They have anywhere from, you know, 18 to 25 checkpoints to plot. Sometimes they have an enduro roadbook, which is a traditional rally roadbook. Sometimes those are roadbooks are on time. You have to stay on time. That means doing math equations 5 a.m. as you're having your first cup of coffee um, to arrive on time at each timing control. And so it's, it's kind of like a hybrid of, of rally. But then they line up. They go off the starting line, usually it's 7 a.m., and they're going off, off the line, 
they normally have anywhere from 10 to 11 and a half hours per day to complete a day. They will be out there all day. They don't finish early. Um, if they do, they either had a really bad day, um, wanted to stop and take the pavement, take the pavement back, or they're just extremely good at it um, and have a good pace. But normally that means maybe ending 30 minutes early. Uh, so they're out there all day from sunrise literally to sunset. Some people are out there for 14 hours, um, but it's long and it's, it's, um, it beats you down. It definitely beats you down. By the end of it, um, there's part of you that doesn't want it to end. And then there's part of you that never wants to see it again until you get home and you think about how you miss it. And so do the, is there a dedicated driver and navigator typically, or how does that work? Yeah, um, it's, it's a driver and navigator and your vehicle. No support teams, no outside support teams. No, you can't bring in your mechanics team. It's just you and your teammate. Uh, normally, someone will take a driver role and someone will take a navigator role. However, it's not required that it's that way. You can't substitute a driver, bring in another driver. It's the two of you. And you choose which role you want to take. And some teams do trade out. And, and some teams that are very good at both um, trade out and give each other a breather. Now, are these people that are um, friends with each other or aware of each other before they start? Or do they just kind of get assigned? Uh, Ten days with another person, I hope they get along. <laughs> They hope they get along. I yeah. hope they get along. It's easier on us when they get along too. Right. Um, you know what? It's it's all it's all over the board. It's best friends, sisters, mother daughter teams. Um, sometimes it's people that really don't know each other. They met each other through an event or talking to each other kind of online. We have a database system where people can learn who else is looking for a team and they don't have to just put it out on social media. So it's a more a private a space for them to, to meet and, and really almost interview each other. So I would say it's all over the board. And I would say that having someone as a, a close friend or someone you never know, have never known, isn't there's not one that is a recipe for success. I've competed with um, one of my best friends and I've competed with someone I, I didn't even know if she could speak English till I literally showed up at the rally. And she will be one of my forever friends. So really it comes down to shared goals and um, you know that you don't drive each other crazy outside of the car. Because if you do, then once you're in the car, you're definitely gonna make each other crazy. But yeah, I would say shared goals and also having a sense of humor um, doesn't hurt. Being able to laugh at yourself and being able to kind of put your ego aside is, um, and you know, really check it at the door is really important for your success to get along. Yeah. Now, what do people, what are they allowed to bring with them? What do they bring with them for something like this? Well, yeah, that's a great question. Um, we have a list of required items and we have a list of prohibited items. Required items, basically your camping equipment, first aid supplies, um, you know, obviously fire extinguisher, five gallons of water, your helmet, uh, a compass, uh, outside of that, and then, and then your clothing gear and, and some spare parts. Outside of that, your prohibited items, you cannot bring like extreme zoom lenses on cameras. You can't bring binoculars. Um, you can't bring two-way radios. You can't bring anything GPS enabled unless it's pre-installed 
on your car by the manufacturer. Um, it's basically, you know, it's truly old school, you know, navigation and survival equipment. And outside of that, you know, you can't bring your, you know, internet enabled Kindle at night. You know, we've had people say that, well, I need to bring my Kindle, you know, so I can read at night before I go to sleep. And then we say, well, that this is the wrong rally for you because there's a thing called a book and you can bring a book, you know, and yeah. read yourself to sleep. Right. So, yeah, it's pretty minimalist. And I would say less is more people who overpack and over over gear their car. It tends to, you know, more is just more. Right. And in this case, less is more. Now, do people actually, are they able to sleep at night? Um, is that something, you know, cause you were saying it gets to be pretty cold at night and I would imagine the weather can be quite unpredictable. Are, are a lot of these people sleep deprived at, <laughs> at the yeah, end of this? Yeah, a lot of people are sleep deprived. The more seasoned rebels know to get sleep when they can. So the second, you know, they can get to sleep, you know, they're, they're asleep by nine o'clock. Right. Um, they don't waste a minute, uh, trying to be effective in their competition. Um, a lot of the newbies tend to not sleep. They get really excited. There are a lot of nerves. And, you know, we're out in the middle of nowhere. So um, if you sleep well in the middle of nowhere, um, you do well. But one thing that helped improve this year is we didn't have the sound of generators running through the night. You know, we had, there was one truck that didn't have access to shore, pa shore power. So there were times that it had to have its internal generator running. But we powered the base camp, which is a big operation this year, on solar. Oh, that's and, great. Yeah, it took um, a couple of years to get to that point because we had to, um, through Renewable Innovations, um, they built equipment specifically, a big solar plant with two big smart solar flowers on the truck to power base camp. So when, when you don't have that noise, um, you sleep pretty well. So it was better. It's even better for me this year. So, and you know, kind of getting back to electric vehicles. I mean, they they did very well this past year, right? They did. Um, they the electrified um, the plug-in hybrid Jeep uh, Rubicons. They right. actually got first and second um, right. in the rally, which was really um, great. But um, all the electric vehicles have fared well. Uh, they're great vehicles. They just get powered differently. And right. assuming they have access to power, which is the challenge, which we've worked really hard to overcome, they perform. You know, anyone who drives a, a, an electric vehicle um, is in the dirt will tell you um, they are fun to drive. I've driven that Rivian. It is it is a fine. Yeah, I was just going to mention the Rivian. I think they got fifth place, and you know, fully electric. Um, I mean, you all uh, was it two years in a row that the Rivian um, participated? The, the people drove the Rivian. Yes, it was actually the first time that um, last year was the first time that the Rivian had been driven by someone out of the company. Wow. Yeah, because I mean, you know, people aren't seeing those. They're first starting to see them now because some of the people that work at the factory are getting them. But that's extra special. I, I'm, I imagine that's a, a big deal for the, the company to have uh, their vehicle in something like this. Now, all these vehicles are stock vehicles, right? Correct. Um, the vehicles are stock manufacturer vehicles. They're limited into to tire size to 35 inch tires, which is great because that's actually um, easier on the train. It's easier on the, the dirt roads. They are 
you know, like we have two classes, what's called four by four and what's called X cross, which is like a crossover, uh, vehicle, like, you know, a Subaru, a Porsche Cayenne, etc. Um, but then also two wheel drive vehicles are in that class. And yeah, they're like what you see every day. Some people may have done a lot of modifications that they don't look that stock, but based on the suspension uh, regulations and the tire size, um, yeah, they're, they're, you won't see tube chassis race vehicles. These are street legal plated cars. Now, are the vehicle manufacturers, are they putting things in these vehicles to capture metrics, to get feedback, especially with something like the Rivian? I, I imagine this is super valuable to them because this is not only real world experience, but it's, you know, it's, it's pretty uh, crazy <laughs> real world yeah. experience, you know, that these people are putting, um, putting these vehicles through the pl- their paces. So is there stuff like that that, you know, benefits these vehicle manufacturers as well? Yes, there is. And and actually, we built our own platform. I'm I'm a data junkie nerd. Um, I believe that this is the ultimate proving ground. This is this is, you know, just as valuable, if not more valuable than, you know, testing around at a proving ground because you have real world drivers driving these vehicles in situations that aren't con- as controlled as you might see in a proving ground. And so we built a backend data platform that actually can toggle between cellular and satellite so that we can see um, through a great robust mapping, you know, map box mapping and Iridium uh, satellite networks, we can in real time, uh, like one second delay, see the vehicle metrics that we want to see, whether it's coming off the vehicle or whether it's ambient air temperature, throttle position, battery. So we built a system like that ourselves. Right. Um, we believe that there's no reason to to have to send a car back to the manufacturer to try to pour through that data. Why not see it in real time? The technology is there. It's not always easy as people think to link that tech up to see it in real time. It's right. a challenge, but it does exist, and some people are using it effectively. I believe that more people and more manufacturers can use this effectively. Uh, this is one of the reasons why we built the Rebel is to to get that information and and use it for innovation not just to say we crossed the finish line but wow we crossed the finish line and we troubleshot these problems and here's how we're going to make it it better um Stu, one will, thing i will say that's been really cool is you know we had 11 vehicle manufacturers involved this year every year we have great manufacturer involvement um and we feel fortunate they believe in the rally and the mission, but they're also sending engineers, um, the female engineers in their companies to compete. So literally the people designing and manufacturing their vehicles can go and live in their car for 10 days. And they come out often knowing a lot more about the car than when they started. Definitely that they do. And often more times than more time than people in their company. So yeah, and that, that brings up an interesting, I mean, that's amazing. Uh, first of all, I mean, that brings up something. How do people learn the skills that are necessary, whether it's driving, it's not, you know, driving to the supermarket down the street. It's, it's totally different. And, and forget about navigating. Uh, <laughs> that's, a, you know, that's, skills that either people haven't used for a while or most people just haven't ever had to use. You know, we've always been kind of, especially now, I mean, back in the day, you know, you had your maps and and all of that, but um, 
now there's a whole generation coming up that they can't get anywhere without you know their their phones and their you know apple maps and google maps and all that kind of stuff so this is something that's kind of very sophisticated Do, does your organization have a hand in that or are these people come in having those skills well they have to have taken a driving course and they have to pass our navigation course and okay. our uh, test um, but we also have a back-end online navigation training course. We also um, have training courses that we um, uh, have said, yes, this is these are great people to train with. Because I don't want people to just, you know, go train to do whatever. You know, I want them to get really great training. I want right. them to come out with the skills that they can leave the rebel and decide they're going to go to Africa and rent a vehicle and really get out you know, into these villages, not on a tour, you know. Um, and so they have to have back, background skills. Uh, they, there are plenty of ta- classes to take. And so I always tell somebody, start somewhere. And so there are some really great resources on our website. Um, people who are registered for the rally have access to our online training. We have quite a few online training programs that are free that are on the website. Um, but it's also really good to do it in person. So we run training courses. Uh, we have several other groups that run training courses. I think the good news is, I for the first time ever, I've had people show up to class and they might be like 23, 24 years old and they've never held a paper map in their hand ever. I never knew I was going to get to that day. But what was encouraging is some of these young people have ended up being great at navigating. And one thing that I think that they do have is they're looking at their phones, but they can see where they are in relationship to their surroundings. So they can see exactly where they are in relationship to their surroundings. And so some of them have picked up the training faster than I would expect, which is good. And they, they want those skills. The great thing is, is it does not take long to learn the skills. We navigate every day. Every day we drive, let's say we drive to the office. You know generally which direction you're traveling. You may not know that that's at a heading of 92 degrees leaving your driveway. But you know, I'm going to turn left out of my driveway. I'm going to go approximately, it's like two or three miles, but you're not thinking, oh, it could be 10, it could be 30. You know, you've already narrowed down this bullseye. Now what the rebel does is it forces you to be dead precise. And you already have the background and basis of those skills. Now it's learning why you have those skills in the first place, how you know that anyway, and the fundamentals of making it precise. And, you know, a great place to start is at like an REI map and compass class. You know, after COVID, they're coming back, you know, join an orienteering club, um, you know, get out with a, you know, find a map of, of your area and, you know, find where you are, um, go hiking with a map. Another thing that people can do is they can take their Google Maps and instead of putting it on like the default mode, put it on terrain mode. And that terrain mode looks just like a U.S. geological survey map. It looks like just like a USGS map. And that's the platform of it. It's just digitized. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So I think if people just try and they just start somewhere, the problem is, is with the internet now, you almost don't know where to start. Like what's a trusted source? Now, do folks, once I assume once in a while, folks will get into 
I don't know if trouble is the right word, but in challenging situations. Um, can you kind of maybe point to some of those things, how people, you know, things people get into and how they get out of them? Um, I'm thinking with Zunes and, and things like this, that, that's, you know, it's, it's pretty challenging stuff. Yeah, it is, especially sand dunes. People tend to get themselves into trouble by not paying attention, driving over their skill level, driving too fast, and second-guessing themselves. It's amazing how many people, you know, second-guess themselves and then make a mistake. The way they get out of trouble depends on what kind of trouble they got into. But I would say that the rebel is a lesson in problem solving. You know, you're problem solving all the time. You're, and you're looking for solutions to a problem. And you're usually having to look for more than one solution. It's like, okay, if solution A doesn't work, solution, what's solution B? A lot of times it's getting themselves stuck, just stuck. Um, the other thing too, it's getting themselves lost and not having the skills to quiet their mind to retrace their steps back to that point where they weren't lost. Right. What was that last point where I knew exactly where I was? Now I need to get back there and then start over. Your body has a physiologic response to being lost. There are receptors in our cells, you know, literally. But the second that you feel lost, even when you're not lost, if you feel lost, your blood pressure goes up, your heart rate goes up, you start to sweat. And literally your ability to think straight is really, really clouded. So those are the two things, overdriving your talent, ego, letting your ego get in the way. I'd say that's the biggest thing. Ego gets in the way and um, getting lost and not knowing what to do next. And so that's the, that's the secret sauce, you know, and they have to learn it and they have to learn it the hard way. And, but they are allowed, there's no outside assistance except by other teams, so here are these teams competing. Everybody is trying to get to the checkpoints on time. It's not a race for all-out all speed, but you have to be on time. And now you need allies. So it's a great competition of how do you compete against someone and treat them with such respect and care that they can be your allies in a bad situation, even when you're trying to beat them. It's very interesting. Yeah, it seems like it really builds character. Definitely things that go past the rally that people kind of takeaways. And and like you said, focus, which is something that is greatly lacking in modern day society. I mean, I, I was amazed, you know, 20, 25 years ago, how fast things kind of seemed like they were going. And we've come to a point now where everything is instantaneous. You know, our news is instantaneous and we have all these social media things. And um, it seems like things like what you're doing really put things in greater perspective, you know, and, and that's super, super valuable. Yeah. So that's, that's wonderful. I, I think it's I think it's what everyone needs a big dose of right now is perspective. Right. Um, a, a bit of joy. Um, a bit of reaching down deep inside of themselves and seeing what they're made of. I think people need to put a mirror, the, the rebel is putting a mirror up against your face and really seeing what's good and the not so good. Um, I think one of the beauties of not being able to be on your phone, and, and we've seen this, I think this is where we see the most growth in people, personal growth. They make a mistake 
And normally you make a mistake and then you can step away from it. And then you go post a picture of yourself looking like a complete badass <laughs> on social media. And you right, go, look right. how cool I am. Right. Look how nice I am. Now I posted this really lovely quote. So everybody thinks I'm this really great person. And, and really, you just treated your teammate terribly. Right. You yelled at course officials. You let your ego get out of control. And now, with because you don't, you can't go, you know, be insta famous. You get to sit with your mistake, and you have to come to grips with it, and you have to come to terms with it. You have to apologize. You have to strategize with your teammate about how you're not going to make that same mistake again, and um, you have to think about it. Um, I think in this day and age. People don't have to do that anymore. They just step away from it and gloss over um, their shortcomings and point the finger at other people's shortcomings. Right. In the rally, you can't do that. You can't just point the finger at your teammate because it takes two to make a mistake. You know, even though somebody might have made the mistake, what could you have done to prevent it? And so you really have to take a lot of ownership. I think it's a very, you know, important lesson. Yeah, and and um, you know one of the things uh, you know in kind of looking at some videos and and kind of preparing a little bit for for chatting with you, I, th I think um, it was the navigator for the Rivian who said um, the Rebel Rally is a rally that uh, just happens to be for women or something like that. Which you know the gender thing is fascinating to me. I mean, I'm an at-home dad, so I. You know, especially, you know, my, my kids were little. Um, we started out in Delaware, then we moved to Kentucky, uh, to Louisville. And, um, you know, some people were absolutely wonderful, but there definitely were people in the community that couldn't wrap their brains around a guy being the uh, kind of supportive, nurturing, primary caregiver for, you know, children. So, it's it's and you know I, I would go to like have my oil changed at Valvoline or Jiffy Lube or something, and I'd see a woman working there, and I'd be like, yeah, that's great, you know, because um, you don't see that, and our society maybe doesn't encourage that. I I remember my daughter when she was in Girl Scouts, um, and she was envious of my son because Boy Scouts did cooler things, you know, they went on those camping trips and. Yeah, it's kind of sad, yeah. you know? So it's really wonderful to have something that, I mean, all the people that are doing this are, are totally badass, <laughs> you know? And, yeah. uh, and they just have this spirit and, and are really trying to achieve something and test themselves. Um, and, and that, you know, it goes past gender. So mm -hmm. it's, it's really great to see. You know? Yeah, the, the questions have come up. You can imagine some of the questions or feedback, nice and not so nice, I've received right. for having a women's only car rally. Um, but, you know, if, if women were even 30% of the field of drivers in motorsports events, there might not be a, be a need for this. But I've also seen over time, like, women tend to learn learn differently. And, and we, we are different. Yeah. You know, at least on on the curve, there's a, a, a bulk of people that, you know, we learn differently. I, right. I've seen it on the track, you know, because I've been out there, you know, on the track. It, I, I've been in, in these situations and seen how w women will listen real carefully and then they'll 
try, you know, start slower and move up and progress and progress and progress. And a guy might go off the line and, you know, like go incredible lap and then crash and burn and then right. kind of do this spike up where women will more kind of linearly move up. But it's, it's because we're, you know, we just do it a little differently. Not every, not everyone for sure. Um, but I have thousands, you know, over 5,000 people as a, as a study, you know, to, to look at, um, with that hands-on experience. But what I will say is that, um, I had a woman who she's a journalist and she did the rebel this year. And she said, you know, Hey, normally I wouldn't do, um, I don't do like, like a lot of women's only events, but I really like this. You know, it didn't feel like what I was expecting it to feel like. It just wasn't even, you know, gender wasn't an, an issue. And um, I said, well, would you have done, would you have entered the rebel rally if it were open? Because I can tell you, if we opened it up to everyone, um, it would fill up in the first day with men. We'd be sold out. We were sold out this year in, in two and a half weeks. Um, right. But we would have been sold out, you know, probably in a day um, of men because we have anywhere from two to three men a week ask us, you know, about other rallies that they can do, et cetera, want to do this one. And, um, you know, I knew that if we did that, then it'd be the same one or two teams of women that normally will compete in motorsports events. So it would fill up and we'd have the same problem. There are plenty of events. There are thousands and thousands of events around the world that, um, you know, are, are open and there are some women's events. Um, but she said she probably wouldn't have signed. She goes, well, I, I wouldn't have signed up for the rebel right. if it were open. I just wouldn't have done it. She wouldn't have felt comfortable and confident um, to do it. And I don't know why, but maybe that's because in the automotive space um, or automotive competition space, um, that's been more challenging to, to get women to really sign up and go for it. Yeah, it's like one of the things that's really been kind of male dominated. But women, women love cars. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's great. No, and yeah. um, let's see. I'm thinking with electric vehicles. I mean, what are some of the things like that you would say they have an advantage over the other vehicles? I can think of one thing. It's 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 maybe not a competitive advantage, but I know because I I started. Uh, I'm the co-founder of uh, Evolve KY, which is Kentucky's electric vehicle group. So I did. I started that seven years ago, and one of one of the first couple years, we had a very unique opportunity. We were out uh, at an event showing our cars to people, and uh, we've come a long way in seven years for the electric vehicle yeah, yeah. space. But this one person came up to us, uh, we were doing a ride and drive, and he said, oh, you know, I built an electric houseboat. I pulled the engine out and I replaced it with a motor. I'm, he was planning on putting solar panels. He didn't get that far yet. And he said, but, you know, I have this houseboat, it's electric, and would you all be interested in seeing it and taking, you know, going out on the Ohio River? And I'm like, would we ever? <laughs> you know, that sounded amazing. So there were a handful of us, we went out. What really struck me was here we were out, you know, in this houseboat, and the normal experience would be hearing this engine and smelling this engine and that would be kind of almost, you know, first and, you know, right there, you know, you, you can't, you can't miss that. But what the experience was, 
was we were really able to to kind of experience the beauty of of the river and, and the surroundings in relative quiet. Um, and that was just really something. Similar experience when I first got my electric car. I, I was like, what's going to be the most you know different thing? And I got up to a stop sign and I could hear the birds and it and I could hear nature and it was quiet, you know, if I didn't have the radio on, you know. So I'm kind of wondering, you know, what are the advantages of electric vehicles in, in you know, a rally like this? And, you know, uh, I, can you see it, you know, being more and more of a percentage of, of uh, you know, the cars and the, you know, the vehicles in the future? Are there any specific vehicles that you're you're kind of eyeing right now that you think might be part of it? Yeah, you know, first of all, I always say that there are pros or advantages and disadvantages of each vehicle for, you know, its intended use. What I have to say about the electric vehicles, everybody says it, same as you. It's quiet. I mean, it's so lovely to... I drove through some sand and you could hear the tires cutting through the sand and the sand kind of blowing back. It just, it was surreal. And what, you know, I think sometimes uh, armchair environmentalists will tend to really harp on people who are even driving off-road, forgetting that a lot of people live on back roads. Um, is it is the world better really paved? People in villages in Africa, you know, um, I've spent a lot of time in Africa and um, you know, that's how you get to help. That's how you get help there. That's how you get their food there, you know, driving off road. And, it, you know, we love nature. We're trying to get to that great kayak run, that great backcountry ski run. Right. And to be able to do that in silence as part of the journey is mind blowing. I don't think there's any person that can get into a car and not feel that and not immediately notice that. The other thing that I have to say that's a couple of things that's an advantage, you look at the Rivian, and it's the storage space. Because, I mean, you don't have an engine under the hood. So you have the back of the truck. Talk about a vehicle that has maximized its storage capacity. It's amazing. So being able to to gear up um, your vehicle is great. Um, another thing is, and I've noticed this in sand, is where the, the batteries are and the weight of the vehicle. It's on the bottom of the car between the two axles. So the car is weighted very well. You right. don't have big heavy engine in the front. You know, it's like a, a basically mid-engine, you know. Yeah. Um, so the weight of the vehicle is good. And when you drive off-road, especially performance driving, weight matters. Another thing that happens is when... And this is a change for us in off-road driving. We're used to left-footed, you know, braking. But when you lift off the throttle, depending on your particular vehicle, you have immediately resistance. And so you have um, a lot of, basically, I'm going to call it throttle control um, by not having to be as aggressive on the brakes because you have a lot of um, what we would in the past called like a compression braking. So right. it's it's pretty interesting. So it's kind of a different driving style, but it's just a different driving experience. But can they accomplish the same things? Absolutely. Um, and in the Rebel Rally, the good thing about the Rebel Rally is because it's not about fastest speed, it's about being a smart driver, driving proficiently and efficiently, um, and by really good navigation, that's how you get your points. 
So a, an electric vehicle can compete head-to-head -head with its counterpart that is a petrol vehicle, and neither one is really at an advantage or a disadvantage. So that's been a fun part of the rally because it's been truly a chance to have, you know, that Rivian and that um, PHEV uh, Rubicon can compete directly against a, a Toyota truck or a petrol Rubicon. Um, and you realize that they're both just as capable as right. long as you can get the power. Now, you asked the question about, will we see more of a percentage of those vehicles? Yes. Um, it really comes down to power. And what I think people don't realize is how challenging uh, remote powering a vehicle rapidly is. Uh, we're very fortunate. Our partner, I searched kind of the world over when this wasn't a, a rally where electric vehicles decided they wanted to compete. We created the program designed the course for all the vehicles, designed repowering locations, and then set about trying to find the people that could supply the remote power. Let me tell you, it's not easy. No. And there are a lot of people that are going to tell you they can, and it turns out they can't. Right. There are a lot of startups. There are a lot of people that ha are banking, you know, like betting the farm on one, so you know, solution or a batter uh a van full of batteries. Right. And we work with, like I said, Renewable Innovations. I was introduced to them by the EV um, side of Audi USA. They connected us. And that is a very reputable company, Bob Mount. Um, yeah, they have so much experience. And they had a number of solutions. Because what happens if we can't deliver that power? What's our plan B? You know, a lot of companies didn't have a plan B. And so um, they actually built the infrastructure that is hydrogen and solar. Like we could literally power our plug-in hybrid vehicles with a solar program, which was pretty cool. The electric vehicles, everybody just assumes you can do that with uh, solar. A lot of the people in the world right now don't understand what's really available right. and what's really not available. Biggest challenge. And so um, we have a hydrogen program with backup, highly efficient diesel generators and also the solar chargers. Um, the, the thing about it is it takes a lot of power to power an electric vehicle. It also takes a lot of power to do it rapidly. We're fortunate. Um, the Volkswagen, the 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 Volkswagen ID. Four will tell you that we had better, more reliable, rapid power than they could find in towns. <laughs> wow, um, that's saying something. Yeah, the Rivian, the Rivian will too. They came out to train um, in the sand dunes, and they couldn't. Um, they had to sit at a charger with only one charger working, and the town of El Centro, um, California, on the way between San Diego and Phoenix, and they couldn't power, they couldn't charge their vehicle. They sat there for two hours, and I believe they got less than 20%. And so um, we have a, an extremely re reliable power situation. We are opening, we can power more, but to play it safe, we're going to, we can power six fully electric vehicles on the rally and then a, a host of plug-in um, hybrid vehicles on next year's rally. The amount of power, can you imagine, you probably can, and a lot of your listeners probably can, 
we rapid charge our vehicles in under 35 minutes. Yeah. On right. course. That is a ton of power. Yep. And so imagine what that would take to power 50 cars. Right. Um, where, how do you rapidly generate that power and get it to there? You can imagine the infrastructure that would roll in to have to do it. So obviously hydrogen is the solution to, pow- to power the batteries. Yeah, so these are, are mobile uh, DC fast charging units that you're yes. deploying. Okay. Yes. Now, do they follow, do they follow the cars uh, through the course or are there, is it a fleet of them? How's that done? We have one um, semi tractor trailer rig um, that is that has multiple DC fast chargers. Um, it has eight uh, fuel cells that then powers a bank of batteries, and it actually goes. It it is at base camp, and then it goes to our location on course that is dedicated as the dedicated location. So we don't allow people to just pet fuel anywhere. For one, it's a safety issue. We also want people to manage their fuel and not waste it or waste their power. And so they do go out on course during the day when it's necessary. Um, I'll tell you what, though, the Rivian this year, there was almost not a single day where they needed to remote power. Their powering, their um, range has really gotten great. Well, yeah. I mean, especially since, like you're saying, it's not a quote-unquote race, um, you know, that's where, that's one big advantage of electric vehicles is when they're going slower, they're using less power, you know, and yes. they do benefit from that regenerative, you know, braking as well. So uh, just like people driving around town, you're going to be very efficient. Um, then if you're, you know, trying to, you know, get to work and you're 10 minutes late already and you're on the highway and you're, you're going at insane speeds. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's very cool. Th- Another thing that we did too, um, just to convince the vehicle manufacturers that we could pull this off, because that's what it took at first. We right. couldn't just say, "Hey, we want to have you come." Um, they were very—they don't want their vehicles to fail, and they don't want to be set up for failure. And so we had to really prove to them that we understood what their needs were and how we were addressing them. So I had to take our our course is twenty five hundred kilometers long. Hmm. And there's so many different types of trains. So I had to take these big spreadsheets of about every, you know, anywhere from six to 10 kilometers, maybe up to 20 kilometers of every section of the course. And it's a, it's a confidential course. So I couldn't tell anybody any information. So I couldn't say, yeah, we're going to be here. And then they could try it themselves. I had to say, hey, trust right. me. Right. And then I had to assign, I had to describe the terrain the surface and then assign a kilowatt consumption per mile for that type of terrain because obviously the kilowatt consumption on sand is definitely different than it is on asphalt versus on a smooth great um road versus something with a lot of elevation uh, gain or loss so i've had to pull together all that course data every single day. So I might have 30 to 50 points a day or sections a day with a rating about how many kilowatts of their battery are they going to consume. 
Wow. So we had to do that. And Riv, thank you, Rivian. Um, you know, also, also Audi helped us, even though they haven't been in. They are extremely helpful um, from the sidelines with our EV program because they believe in it. So Rivian um, jumped in the first year and Mitsubishi jumped in the first year. This year, we had Rivian, Volkswagen, Kia, um, and Jeep all in for a total. So we went from two vehicles to seven vehicles this year. Oh, that's great. That's absolutely great. Yeah. A, a dream, a dream. You want to hear the dream? Yeah, EVs? yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, well, everybody's asking about the Hummer EV. Right. And I actually used to race for Hummer back in the day. And they okay. were coming out with an H4 that they had wanted to be a hybrid vehicle. Beautiful design vehicle. And then um, uh, GM went bankrupt. And so that shelved yeah. that. Yeah. The Hummer brand went away. So it was really exciting to see that vehicle come back. Um, I would like to see the new Lightning, the Ford Lightning yeah. pickup. Definitely want to see that. Um, I would love to see, um, there's some great uh, uh, Volvo, BMW. Obviously, we want to see Audi. Um, you know, their e-trons are just exceptional. Um, so there are a number of cars, but yeah, I definitely want to see that that Lightning because um, it'd be great to see another truck. Right, uh, right. A, you know, full electric truck in the rally. What, what would you want to see? What what do you want to see in there? Um, the Cybertruck. Yeah, people have definitely asked about that one. Yes. Yeah, I mean, because uh, such a polarizing thing, you know. Um. <laughs> okay, can you say what? Do you like the design? I, or is I, that putting I, or is that putting you on the hot seat? No, I do. I do. I, I you know, I, I some a lot of people I know just think it's you know the exact opposite of what I think. <laughs> Well, you, you can't help but appreciate and respect somebody going back to the drawing board yeah. and saying, hey, okay, you know, we don't yeah. have to have a grill. You know, we don't have to have these things. So let's scrap them and completely rethink how we do these things. And there's right. probably no better person who does that than Musk. No, so. it, it's really, in a way, it's uh, really putting himself out there you know, super brave. I, I've talked to people who, that have seen it and they say, oh yeah, it looks a lot better in person, you know, but it, it just seems indestructible, you know, and the specs on it are, are pretty crazy. Um, and I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing them on the road, you know, do we need huge cars like that on the road? I, I don't think so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, but, but they're going to be there anyway, you know, and, uh, I, you know, so many cars look the same these days. So I think it's kind of a, a, a kick to see something that totally looks different, you know? Yeah. And that's what that is. So, um, yeah, definitely. With, with the rally, I, 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 you know, it kind of want to wrap it up in a little bit, but, um, I'm curious with, with these, you know, the every day is, are they almost kind of themed by what day it is. Um, do you have a day that is um, maybe a favorite of yours because of what, you know, the, the drivers and the navigators are uh, challenged, you know, to do? Yes, absolutely. So the, my favorite part of this whole thing is setting the course. And I, 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 my course uh, director, Jimmy Lewis, legend guy, um, he and I work on the course, you know, throughout the year. 
I pre-run each day anywhere from three to six days per stage, um, per day stage. And each day is really, really different. And we go about that doing it very intentionally. Right. We'll even route the course by, oh my gosh, they're going to come up over this pass and then there's this huge reveal. Put a checkpoint here so they're forced to stop. You know, um, it's so I would say this year in the rally, day one was hands down my favorite day of any rally we've ever had in the history of the rally. Um, and it's uh, beautiful, it's a very volcanic area. It's very, very remote out in central Nevada um, on the northeast corner of Area 51. And the diversity of terrain in a short distance was mind-blowing. But as a driver, it was so, it was like kick in the pants, fun to drive. Um, And so usually I rate it by quality of driving and, and the scenery um, obviously it's always a great navigation challenge. Um, but as a, a tragedy, I became a navigator, I started out as a driver. So that really stood out to me. Um, and you know, this is a very, it's a volcanic area. It's called the lunar crater. And it's also, um, it's got every type of terrain. So that was my favorite day. The, but the second favorite day, um, we had worked for a long time to be able to drive through Titus Canyon. And Titus Canyon is a very famous drive that drops from a very high altitude into the bottom of Death Valley in a very short distance. Hmm. And it's only one car length wide. It's a one way. And um, when I first approached Death Valley, they said, absolutely, no way. You can't take a car rally through Death Valley. You know, your car rallies are destructive, all these things. And I said, I get it, but we're different. And we, um, are, we will take this time and prove ourselves. And we have. We, we are very, very careful um, on, on wildlife. We give so much instruction on wildlife and sensitive areas. Our competitors come out being uh, very educated on sensitivities of the desert. We limit our vehicles. They're not race cars. They're not racing for speed. They are... Um, we would kick anyone out for anything destructive. Um, we're partnered with Tread Lightly. We've worked hard on our electric program and our solar program. So they let us drive tight Titus Canyon because we could prove to them that we had a format that no one would bunch up. Right. No one would speed. We had an on-time enduro, so we, we controlled the speeds. They didn't bunch up. And I can tell you, for anyone listening... Take your electric vehicle and drive down Titus Canyon. And it is one of the most mind-blowing, awe-inspiring places I've ever been to in the world. And we got to do that on this year's rally. And it was snowing at the top of Titus Canyon. And at the bottom, it was a whiteout 70-mile-per-hour windstorm that decimated our base camp. Wow. And the and the teams got to drive through, and because the canyon walls are so steep and so tight, they had no idea what was happening. Um, they just got to be in nature. So imagine what that was like for the Volkswagen and the Rivian. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. wonderful. So cool. Well, this has been great. I mean, is there anything that uh, I haven't touched on that you you would like to talk about, or? Um, yeah, you know what I think. Um, one thing that I, I do want to address, because this is, 
you've got an educated group of people that care about electric vehicles and where it's going. And innovation has to start somewhere. And um, I believe that we've been panned because people will see our solar truck um, being taken down the road by a diesel semi. Right. Well, that's great, but I don't know how we're going to get that many solar panels to each base camp remotely to power our base camp. Right. And so I don't know how we're going to get hydrogen power down the road when there are transportation issues. There are, especially with, tra- with hydrogen, um, I, you know, I hate to tell people, but look at what, you know, Nikola didn't happen. There aren't hydrogen semis out there no. transporting. <laughs> so we get people trans- saying, you know, how dare you run an EV program? You're a bunch of hypocrites. But we, there's not a solution to get that type of infrastructure down the road yet. And when there is, there will be, we'll yeah. have it. Right. And so I think it's helping people. Um, I think people need to have some patience. I think pe- things are moving rapidly. Right. You've seen it. Right. I've seen it. There's so much great stuff happening. And by, by testing it in real world situations, you get it better every time. Right. Just like la- from last year's rebel rally to this year's rebel rally, the, the leaps that we've made with our program and with renewable innovations, it's happening so well. So, um, don't shoot these messengers that are trying to, you know, really make it happen. And so I think that, um, if we can all help dispel myths and also help people understand what's available and what's realistic and what isn't, I mean, I would love to say that we can power our electric vehicles that we're driving with full solar as we're driving down the road and the, the, it's on the roof. Well, right. Elon, Elon Musk will tell you that that's can't happen right. right now. You know, that doesn't mean that there won't be change, but we need to allow the process to happen without um, shooting things down because, you know, we're in, we're in this great moment of change. That's right. Does that make, does right. that make sense? It totally I, don't know does. You, I don't know if you hear that a lot, but we sure do. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, I think there's always folks that are, um, kind of, you know, not seeing the forest for the trees, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, sometimes baby steps, like the fact that you have a rally and not a race, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, it, it, it's happening, you know, here, you know, in Kentucky, you know, I, I always hear about, I, I, I haven't traveled much lately, especially, you know, with the, you know, coronavirus stuff, but, um, California, you know, Florida, other places, um, it's happening in a much bigger way than it is here. But that said, you know, seven years ago, it was much different here than what it is now. It's really remarkable how fast things are moving, but there's sort of a natural speed, you know? And um, I kind of think that, um, I I think, a, a quote I always, you know, like to go to is Buckminster Fuller. It's like, if you're doing the right thing, you'll be rewarded. You know, it will happen. And it might happen in a way that you don't expect it, or it might happen slower, you know. Um, but if you're moving in that direction, you know, that's the important thing. 
So right, right. I think what you're doing is wonderful, you know, and, and you know to see electric vehicles, um, you know, uh, competing and succeeding, just remarkable, you know, and and uh, thrilled to you know have you on here and and be able to kind of tell your story. Um, and I mean, you're so accomplished, and the fact that you're you know providing this for other people and and kind of passing the baton is is just amazing. So. Thank you. It's fun. It, yeah. It's, you know, it, it's fun to do and it's, it's exciting. Right. And I think when people see these vehicles, they'll open their mind to considering them right. or, or, you know, to, to purchase them or not being afraid. Well, that's what, ha- that's um, how it happens. Or finding what works yeah. for them. You right. know, I can say that, you know, a plug-in hybrid vehicle is an excellent um, you know, vehicle to, to have. I've tested right. a lot of them. Um, if you're not ready for a, a full electric vehicle, right. um, you know, a plug-in hybrid is, is, a, is a great, um, yeah. great driving vehicle. And for most people, you know, if, you know, a lot of people aren't driving as much these days anyway, uh, but for their, rel- you know, most people, relatively short commute, um, the electric part of it is perfectly fine, you know, and I know people that have like second generation volts and, you know, they can go, it's ridiculous. They can go a year, you know, without filling up the gas tank, you know, so they get a taste for electric vehicles. um, And, you know, maybe their next vehicle will be fully electric. Well, I I never thought. I never thought I would drive a uh, ride an electric bike. I was such a right. purist, you know, yeah. cycling purist. And I, I got an electric bike. I we barely drive our cars. Right. I like driving, uh, you know, more for sport. But right. we drive. I drive. I, I go everywhere on my electric bike. Oh, that's great. Um, and I have an electric dirt bike now. Yeah. Electric dirt bike is so it, it's so mind blowing, awesome, fun, and the same thing. It's quiet out yeah. there. You know, it's yeah. We have fun. one member who has. I think he he just bought two electric dirt bikes. He's been racing dirt bikes since he was a kid. And uh, I was watching a YouTube video, and it's just remarkable. You know, uh, I mean, I can fun. imagine the ribbing he gets, which is crazy. You know, um, uh, they are. But I think, well, it, you know, I, if he lives in Kentucky, and yeah. you don't, I don't know if you guys see a lot, but we're seeing a lot more out west. Right. And and the purists were like, oh, that's crazy, and right. then they get on them. Yeah. And like this light bulb goes off, yeah. you know, it's, it's like, how far, how far will this thing go? It's like 70 miles. Well, I, I could make that work. That's how it so, starts. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All well, right. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. And Thanks, uh, Stu. I is, is there anything else you. as far as like uh, pointing to people to your website or um, anything else? Yeah. Um, head to rebelrally.com. Um, you can learn all about it, learn about what we do. Um, we have some great free trainings during COVID. We just start, you know, doing, you know, people are at home. So we did some really fun home uh, training. We even did some that you can do with your kids, you oh, know, like cool. how to think like a map, you know, things like that. So they're all there right on the Rebel You uh, okay. page. And um, go head over there. There's some great shots of the electric vehicles in the rally and, Um, If you're interested, reach out. Very good. Well, thank you again. I hope to have you on again. Yeah, Um, thanks, Stu. This has been a lot of fun. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Stu's EV Universe. I would like to thank Eden Unger for creating the artwork and the music for this episode. Remember, please rate, review, subscribe, and share, as that's the only way we can continue to grow. Now you can support us on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash EVU. Remember, the EV revolution runs on your energy. I'm Stuart Unger. See you next time.